views expressed on this broadcast of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger do not necessarily reflect those of Take 12 Radio, KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, or our affiliates. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Alan Berger and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, recovery family. Those of you in recovery, those of you who are advocates of, and perhaps those of you who should be, welcome to another fine episode of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with our friend, Dr. Alan Berger. Dr. Berger, how the heck are you, my friend? Well, good money. Uh, good evening to you and good evening to all our listeners out there. I know uh, you've been back at a conference on the uh, East Coast, and I've been to a couple conferences here out on the West Coast. And so now we're back with our uh, listeners. Yeah, yes, we are. And it's good to be back. And sometimes we go dark uh, for a week or two because of these things, but we bring back um, just a plethora. I love that word. That's that's my new word. <laughs> Uh, uh, of information and uh, encouragement for those uh, who are really seeking freedom from uh, a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, right? Yeah, we really do. And tonight we've really got a special, special treat for our listeners. We're being joined by Dr. John Amodeo, uh, who I'm going to introduce here in a minute. But I think this is going to be a very, very um, informative show, and I think it's going to help our listeners even get some more depth and perspective on some of the issues that we've been talking about uh, on emotional sobriety. Well, let me give our email address out uh, right away. It is Take12Radio, that's T-A-K-E, the number 12, radio at Comcast.net. And Dr. Berger's email address is A-B-P-H-D, as in Alan Berger, Ph.D., at msn.com. Is that correct? That's correct. All right, Dr. Berger, what is going on? This is a special show this week. Yeah, it's a very special show. And, and Dr. Amadeo, I'd like to welcome you to our show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You, you know, as you know, you and I have talked before, and, I, and you were one of our keynote presenters at the Evolution of Addiction Treatment Conference last year. I thought I recognized I his face. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You did, Monty. Mm-hmm. You were there as well. And and I just want to say that I've just been a, a big fan of your work through the years. And as you know, I find that your book on love and betrayal just has been so helpful in my private practice. But we're, tonight we're going to talk about your new book. So could you tell people a little bit about the new book you have out, Dancing with Fire? Sure, I'll be happy to. Yeah, I address uh, many things in the book. One is the, kind of a shadowy issue in our pursuit of a spiritual life. I find so many of us bypass our feelings, our natural feelings, our desires, our longings, in the kind of leaping over those feelings in the attempt to live a, a spiritual life. And sometimes it's called spiritual bypassing or process skipping. So the book really addresses how we really need to embrace what I call our sacred longings and the feelings connected to our longings and find a way to engage with them in a very skillful and gentle way. And... Um, and the book also talks about how we really need to uh, connect with each other, that the spiritual path is all about connection. It's about being intimate. It's about being intimate with ourselves, intimate with other people, intimate with life. Yeah. It, it deals with connection. You need to learn how to connect with, with what we're really experiencing inside, not get, connect, not get 
cling to our thoughts, our ideologies, our judgments about ourselves or each other. Just really, what does it take to really, really connect in a deep way with other people? You know, I've been talking to our listeners, John, a lot about that relationships are really people growers. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that when you have trouble, when there's conflict, it doesn't mean that something's wrong. It's really an opportunity to do what you're talking about, is find a way to each other that, that uh, you know, creates that eye-to-thou experience, that, that deep emotional connection. Exactly. And yeah, conflict in, can be a doorway to the connection if we can work with it in a skillful way. Yeah, that's right. And you talk about that in your book, don't you? Absolutely. So how to work with that. Can you give them an idea? Like, like let's use a situation up where, or let's talk about a situation where a couple's in conflict, right? Um, let, let me give you a situation from someone in my practice today, right? Is that um, this fellow um, really wanted his wife to be more responsive to his needs. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't know how to talk to her about it. So what he would do is he would come home, and if she was busy doing something else, instead of saying hi to him or something like that, he'd just start pouting. Mm-hmm. And he'd walk around the house pouting for a period of time, and stomping around, and then eventually she might say, well, what's going on? And he'll say nothing. <laughs> right? And, and, then, and then about an hour later, he's mad at her. She's not talking, and she comes back to him and says, look, something obviously is happening. You're not talking to me. What went on? And then he'll say, well, I was really hurt. You know, I walked in the house. She didn't acknowledge me or anything like that. And, but it took him, like, about, you know, a four-hour process before he could even own that with her. Yeah, wouldn't it be so much better if we could have the courageous vulnerability to come toward the other person right off and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling, I had a hard day, I'm feeling kind of lonely, kind of disconnected, I just really need to connect with you tonight. Can we hang out? Can we be together? Can we take a walk? Can we talk? And just be really upfront about what we're wanting, what we're longing for. It's in a very natural, easy, easy way just to, just to communicate what we're really feeling. Really yeah. wanting, you know. Yeah, see that—that's so transparent, isn't it? Yeah, so you know, authentic. You know, a lot of people come into my office because I work with couples too, and and often they say, you know, we have a communication problem, and often they're right, they do. But more fundamentally, they actually have a self-awareness problem. Like they're not aware of what they're really feeling, what they're really wanting inside. So it takes a lot of courage and a lot of mindfulness to go inside. Notice what you're really feeling, what you're really wanting, and to say that in a, in a non-blaming, non-attacking way, in a very gentle, tender, soulful way. And doctor, is is that why people don't say anything? Is because they really don't know what they want? I think some, either they don't know what they're feeling, they don't know what they want, they don't yeah. know how to articulate it, or maybe more fundamentally, they're afraid they're going to get rejected. Oh, boy. If, uh, they put out what they want, they open their heart, and then they get rejected. Their heart is just splatters on the floor. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's painful. It's, it's scary to put yourself out in a vulnerable way. That's why, it says it, that's why I say it takes courageous vulnerability. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of inner strength. Sometimes people see it as weakness to express our vulnerability and what we want in a relationship. But it actually takes a great deal of strength to say what you need, that you need connection, you need some, some love, some tenderness, some understanding, whatever it is. It takes mm. a lot of courage to be able to say that. And a willingness to deal with uh, hurt if it doesn't go the way you want. But that's it's not the end of the world. If you feel hurt, then you be with the hurt. Maybe you express that. You find a way to soothe that within yourself. And then you can move on. Yeah, it's such a great vision. It's such a great picture that you paint, John when you talk about uh, how, what our connections can be 
and when they're when they're really grounded in this in this what you call this courageous vulnerability, I mean that's really it's, it's inspiring and it's so interesting, isn't it, Monty? That when you hear Dr. Amadeo talking, it just totally fits with a lot of things we've been talking about in terms of what emotional sobriety is, because emotional sobriety is holding on to yourself in relationships and not getting lost in the connection. And being able to, if something's going on, being able to go to your partner and add more self at the time so that you can say these things. That's the way we've been talking about yeah. it, John, is, is, that, is that, that emotional sobriety is somehow allowing what you do to determine your emotional well-being rather than to let your fear or your catastrophic expectations of what the other person is going to do to determine what you do or don't do in a relationship. Yeah, it's a much more empowered path, isn't it? That's a, you, you have a lot more power than you realize to connect with what's really going on with you, to express that to your partner, to your friends, and, and take responsibility for what's, what's going on in your world and sharing that with, with the other person. What's been really, really... What's been really uh, beneficial to the listeners uh, since we've been doing this uh, is well. Let me let me backtrack. So many people have experienced rejection um, for years, or at least at the very least, what they perceive as rejection, and they just don't. They just don't want to take the chance anymore. They just don't want to open up anymore. They they don't they don't want to say what's really going on. Because they're scared to death that one more rejection, that'll be it. They're going to go back out and drink. They're going to go back out and use. They're going to go out and do something even worse than that. So they don't say anything, and they end up doing those things anyway eventually. And uh, learning how to emotionally detach from you know, uh, the expectation thing and, and all that stuff has been so key. But but let me ask you, uh, Doctor, because I'm, I'm really curious. There's, I know there's somebody listening, or more than one person listening right now, who's not at that place yet. They're they're just so damaged. They're so hurt. They're they're like I I'm sorry. I will not open up to what's going on with me because I, I'm afraid it'll kill me if I'm rejected again. What do we say to them? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a risk to open up and, and share what's going on w- with you, with somebody, but people don't realize it's also a risk to stay clammed up inside. It's a risk not to open up and share and move forward in your relationship life. I mean, the risk is you're going to be alone, you're going to be isolated, and mm-hmm. then you're going to use because you feel so isolated and alone and lonely. Yeah. So you know, take some wisdom to realize, okay, I need to take an intelligent risk. I mean, there need to be boundaries. You don't have to open your your heart totally and quickly with people, but find people who you feel safe with or reasonably safe with. You know, maybe it starts with your sponsor or with a therapist to open up, share what's going on in your heart. And gradually, as you share a little bit, notice how that's received by other people, and then you can share a little bit more. And notice how that's received. If you feel safe, then open up a little bit more, share a little bit more. And then through that process, gradually, before you know it, you're... You're having a rich, uh, fulfilling uh, communication and, and relationship with somebody. I mean, and it takes time. It takes courage. It takes a lot of patience. It takes willingness to have setbacks and then pick yourself up again and move forward. But you can learn a lot through the process. And you keep learning as you keep doing this. You know, maybe maybe something didn't go well. Well, maybe, maybe you didn't express yourself as clearly as you could or as courageously as you could. Or mm-hmm. maybe there was some blame or judgment in how you expressed yourself to somebody. You know, you can look at that. You can share that with a therapist or your sponsor or a friend and, 
and get clear how to present yourself next time, how to um, how to communicate in a way that's going to invite somebody toward you rather than push them away. You know, we don't have control over this. Often we don't. We, we have such a hard time just recognizing that we don't have a whole a whole lot of control over how other people respond to us. All we have control over, and I think Dr. Berger would agree with us, maybe say something about it, is is how we present ourselves, how we show up in the relationship. That yeah. we have some control over, right? Yeah, that's, I totally agree with that. You know, when you were talking about the other side of that coin, you know, yeah, there's a great risk to being open and vulnerable, and we may be rejected. But like you said, uh, John, is that it's a two-choice dilemma. It really is, because either choice comes with some risk associated with yeah. it. And, and like you said, you know, try to make an intelligent decision about that. And what I tell people is to say, think about choosing a path that has the most therapeutic benefit for you. Mm-hmm. What's got the most potential to help you live the kind of life you want to live? Do you want to be alone? Do you want to be isolated? Is that what you want? Is that how you want to spend the rest of your life? Or do you want to take the risk and deal with some of the discomfort, some of the anxiety? Because I think you know, as as I know, is that when we are willing to step into that discomfort, when I'm willing to go into this area that I'm unfamiliar with and I feel anxious about, and that is uncomfortable for me, if I can tolerate that and support myself in that process, then what happens is I start to expand my zone of comfort, my comfort zone. It becomes bigger because I've been willing to step into this area, and what I usually find out is these catastrophic expectations I have about what was going to happen, even (laughs) if I'm rejected. You know, it doesn't have to wipe me out. You know, we've been talking a lot about in this program is not making other people's opinion of you more important than your opinion of yourself. Exactly. And and that's a struggle for people because they say, well, I don't think that much of myself. I says, well, good. Well, let's get to work on that then. And so you can support yourself because that's what happens. If, you know, if we feel rejected and we don't know how to support ourselves, then the part of us that doesn't like us ends up agreeing with the person pretty soon it's two against nobody. Right, right. Mm. You need to find that strength within yourself. That What you feel about yourself, think of yourself, is much more important than how other people perceive you. You have absolutely no control over how other people are going to perceive you and see you. But it's so important to see ourselves in a respectful way, gentleness and kindness, and, and, um, and be really gentle with ourselves and validating of ourselves, feeling our value, our worth as a human being. That's so important. That's right. It, you know, it's funny, this line about I'm not much, baby, but I'm all I got. Uh-huh. <laughs> but sometimes that's a starting point. I've got, yeah. to, I've got to tell both of you, share this with both of you, there was a pivotal point in my recovery. Uh, I will never forget this day as long as I live. Uh, my sponsor, my 12-step sponsor, uh, after seven years, uh, uh, he was sober for seven years, went back out. Um, I'd never experienced that before. I was like, I was just like reeling in, in this whole thing. And I went and I immediately hooked up with somebody else. So I had some accountability and the guy was pretty tough. And I kept going back to him just, oh, man, I was just upset and I was whining and I was just an annoying individual. (laughs) 
And he finally looked at me and he put both hands on my shoulders. He looked me straight dead in the eye. He said, when are you going to understand that you are powerless over other people's choices? Mm-hmm, exactly. And a light went on. And I want to tell you what. It changed me. It changed me in a way today that I am so grateful that somebody got in my face and said that to me. Nobody had ever told me that before. Exactly, yeah. We're powerless over other people's choices. I know. It's, um, it's very simple to, yeah. to recognize that, very, it's very, but, but very profound at the same time. We don't have control over how other people might treat us. I mean, we can do our best to create a climate where people mm-hmm. are more likely to come toward us, more likely to give us what we want, but we don't have total control over how other people are going to treat us. They're making their own choices based upon their own history, their own dramas, or their own needs, or their own pathology, or whatever. That, that's also been a big theme that we've been talking about, John, is that, is that the less I take things personally, the more I can see the other person for who they are. And that seems to be such an important part of a healthy relationship, mm-hmm. is to really meet that other person and experience them as they are and not distort them with my projections and, and all my own issues mm-hmm. in terms of like taking everything personally and stuff like that, right. because then I lose touch with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to be able to say, you know, this is not about me, this is about them, this is their reality, this is, so these are choices they're making, this doesn't have to do with me. So not take it personally in that way. To be gentle with ourselves, we don't, we don't get to be. We don't grow up being gentle with ourselves. You know, often people haven't been gentle with us, so it's hard to be gentle with mm. ourselves, validating of ourselves. But there's a path to be practiced and to cultivate that, to learn how to do that. And like you said, Alan, it takes a lot of willingness to expand our tolerance for discomfort. You know, because this path is life is uncomfortable sometimes. Yes. But it's not the end of the world. So we feel uncomfortable. Those are feelings. We can be with them. We can be gentle with them. We can share them with our friends. They've had similar experiences. You know, we're all part of the human condition. So we share our hearts. We share our pain. We share our feelings with each other, realize we're not alone. And we, we get over it. We heal. We move on. We grow. Uh, guys, we're, I, you we're, know, I, go, uh, ahead. go uh, ahead. Dr. we got to take a short break. So uh, everybody hold on to your recovery horses because we're going to be right back. Uh, More with Dr. Alan Berger and Dr. John Amadeo when we return. Hey, check it out. The best in recovery talk and positive music radio is now available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and Podomatic. Simply visit any of these platforms and search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. Listen and download hundreds of our shows for fun and for free. Also available at Take12Radio.com. Hey guys, this is Richie Supa, and you are listening to Take12Radio.com, recovery talk and positive music. All right, and we have returned, and uh, special, our special guest today joining uh, Dr. Berger and myself is Dr. John Amadeo, and uh, we've been talking about uh, really some really vital issues about taking care of ourselves and and uh, powerlessness over what other people think about us and uh, detachment and so on and so forth. And so many people are, are hurting in these areas. One of the, one of the biggest, Dr. Berger, you had said one time that one of the, 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 the main reasons that people relapse is because of, uh, they, they're not able to, um, detach emotionally. Well, yeah, relationship problems and, 
And conflict in relationships is one of the top three reasons that people go out and relapse. And it has to do with what we've been talking about, is that it, you know, a lot of times that what happens, as we've been talking about in the show, is that our emotional dependency is going to generate a lot of unenforceable rules on how other people are supposed to behave so that we're okay. And when people behave... You know, accordingly, we feel fine. When they don't, then we get upset and we try to manipulate them to get them to do what we want them to do. And if they don't do it, then we are left in a quite a pickle. Yeah. You know, and one <laughs> of the things that Bill Wilson said when people didn't do what he wanted to do, he got depressed. And so what are, it's not too far when people get depressed after a period of time that they're going to be picking up that drink. That's right. So that's that's one of the concerns we have, and that's why we are spending a lot of ta- time talking about is how do you soothe yourself? Well, one of the ways to soothe yourself is to start to use, as Dr. John Amadeo just said, is to use your self-awareness and, and become aware of some of these unenforceable rules that you have and unhook those rules from other people. You know, I love the Gestalt Therapy Prayer. Uh, that Fritz Perls came up with. He says, I am I and you are you. Uh, I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations and you're not in this world to live up to mine. If by chance we meet, that's wonderful. Let's celebrate it. Let's enjoy it. And if we can't, then let's just grieve it. Mm. That's, that's the cornerstone of a healthy relationship is us getting to that. But the process that's involved and how do we connect with someone and find a space beyond right and wrong where we can be with each other like that. Well, that's the challenge for all of us in relationships. And I'm just so glad, you know, John, that you're with us tonight because I think you have a remarkable way of helping couples find a way to connect that's really good for each of them. And your new book sounds like it's it's a wonderful addition to your to the other books that you've written. Oh, thanks so much. Tell the audience about the other books that you've done, because we want to let you uh, say something about that as well here. Well, uh, the previous book is called The Authentic Heart, An Eightfold Path to Midlife Love. So it's about how to find mature love. And, and, and some of it is what, what you just said, that instead of looking for the other person to rescue us for our salvation, we need to look more to ourselves. So, um, other people can add a lot of richness to our life, but they're not going to be able to save us or rescue us. So we have to move forward and find resources within ourselves, apart from the relationship. Although, of course, the relationship is a great resource as well, but we need to find other sources, other ways to connect with ourselves in life. So that book is about boundaries, it's about healing shame, it's about the importance of being authentic, being real, being genuine, first with ourselves, emotional honesty with ourselves, and then being emotionally honest with other people. And then uh, Love and Betrayal is the previous book to that. It's um, Love and Betrayal, Broken Trust in Intimate Relationships. So it's how to heal when you feel betrayed, when you feel betrayed by somebody or by life. How to, how to heal that. There's a process we go through so that we don't get stuck in being a victim, that we so often cling to being a victim. Which life, relationships suck, life sucks, you know, why does this happen to me? We hold on to anger and vengeance and try to get revenge instead of uh, realizing mm. we need to grieve. Like you said, Alan, we need grieving is such an important thing. And our body has a natural ability to grieve, to let go, if we just find how to trust our, our organism's way of doing that. And go with, just go with what we're feeling. Work with that. Be with that. Talk about it to people. And there's a natural process of healing and growth that happens. We need to trust that process. 
But this latest book, Dancing with Fire, I worked on it for 10 years. I really poured a lot into wow. it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So this is the one right now that I'm really hoping will, will help people. It's very clear in how to, the, the importance of really honoring ourselves, honoring our feelings, honoring our sacred longings, and finding ways to, to work with that and engage with that so we can... Um, we can really connect in a satisfying way. I mean, that's what we're wanting. We're longing for connection. We're longing for the fulfillment that happens when we're connected. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I got a question. I got a question for uh, uh, for Doctor Amadeo. Uh, we we we're used to hearing that term "dancing with fire" as as a warning. You know, man, you're dancing with fire, dude. Uh, can you tell us why you titled this "Dancing with Fire"? Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks for asking that. Yeah, dancing with fire means expanding our tolerance for all those uncomfortable feelings that are flowing inside of us. Our stomach maybe is tight sometimes in life or in a relationship. Our chest gets constricted. Our throat gets tight. There's strong feelings. Maybe there's anger. Maybe there's hurt. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's shame and embarrassment. So dancing with fire means we have to learn how to be with those feelings, how to work with them, how to engage with them in a gentle, loving way. We need to develop loving kindness toward those fiery feelings so that they don't explode out on other people and burn them or, or for us to get burned and burn up in those intense feelings. We need to learn how to dance with them skillfully, artfully, work with them, move with them, hear what they're trying to tell us. Life speaks to us through our feelings. We can pause, slow down, listen, what are these feelings trying to tell us? Maybe it's trying to tell us, hey, you know, I need more affection in my life and I need to express that in a, in a clearer way to my partner instead of coming home and blaming Blaming mm-hmm. her, blaming him. Mm-hmm. Now I need to, um, I, I need to learn how to meditate or do. I need to do a yoga class or something that's going to help me to cultivate more calm and peace in myself. Maybe that's what I need. So the feelings will tell us if we slow down and listen to what they're trying to say. Very good, very good, uh, Doctor well, Berger. You, you were saying you something. Know, you know, the, the thing I really love about what you're saying, John, is just the the trust you have for our organism, for who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what I tell people all the time is that, that, that we get so many messages that cause us not to trust ourselves, mm-hmm. not rely on, on this kind of organismic wisdom that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what I see happen is that when we get separated from that, that's when we're very vulnerable to becoming an addict. Yes. You know, that's when, when we start to fill our ourselves with more rather than with with this authenticity or with this you know genuineness that you talk about yeah there is an organism organismic intelligence that's that's who we are there's an intelligence operating in us life is operating in us you know we've survived as a species for a long time and we wouldn't do that unless there's some kind of intelligence operating to keep us safe to keep us moving forward so we need to trust that and attune to that and hear how life is trying to guide us. And often it's trying to guide us through our feelings. If we attune to our feelings, it can be a very reliable guide for our life. You see, that's such an important part of this emotional sobriety is to, is to learn how to relate to ourselves in that way because, you know, as, as you can imagine, most of us that are addicts have run away from our feelings our whole life. Yep. We didn't want to feel anything. So we ended up stunting our development because we never paid attention to what we really had, to our experience and what our experience was telling us. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole idea that you have is such a shift towards really honoring our experience. Absolutely, yes. And yes. listening to it. 
and and understanding that that we're going to repair ourselves if we just go into it there's there's going to be some repair operations that take place outside of our consciousness within ourselves that'll that'll heal us right right yeah go into the feelings it doesn't mean that doesn't mean getting lost in it or getting overwhelmed by the feelings but having a relationship with the feelings being gentle with them the way you'd be with a hurting child or a child is crying coming to you for some attention some love some caring or kind of putting like kind of like putting your your arm around a well, a child or holding your pet in your lap, some some kind of a gentle feeling we need to cultivate toward those feelings. And then they begin to reveal their secrets to us. They help us move forward. One, one of my, one of my uh, real bugaboos, one of the things that just drives me crazy within our 12-step support meetings is what, and this may just be my perception, so hang in there with me, but it seems like we do. We spend an awful lot of time trying to discount our feelings. We we say it in meetings. Ah, oh, you know, feelings aren't aren't important. You know, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. This and that. And I'm thinking, but okay, I understand that. I I, I get that. But sometimes I think we lose the importance of these God-given instincts. I mean, the, the, the 12 by 12 in AA talks about it. The big book talks about it. There are God-given instincts that we have and our feelings. Uh, aren't, aren't they something that we, we need to, to respect and honor? Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's a really excellent point. And what I want to say about that is you know, sometimes the initial feelings that come are just the tip of the iceberg. So, for example, we might have an angry reaction to something when somebody's not there for us, for example. We might be angry and rage comes out. Yeah. We want to blame or attack. So, yeah, maybe not. I wouldn't say don't trust that feeling, but be with that feeling, notice it, but don't act it out. Just give it a little time, and you might find that there are other more vulnerable feelings connected with that anger or underneath that anger. For example, you might be feeling hurt or sad or a sense of loneliness or grief. So if you slow down, you know, let the anger be there. And, and, and sometimes, certainly, we need to express anger, but, but sometimes that's a secondary reaction. So we don't want to react. We want to notice the feelings, give it a little time, and see what really resonates most deeply inside of us. It might not be anger. What might resonate most deeply is, is hurt or sadness or something more tender and vulnerable. And that feeling we can trust. That's the message life is giving us, and we can then share that feeling with another person with mm. our partner if we're feeling that kind of sadness or, or hurt. Yeah, well said. Well said. Yeah, isn't that great? I, I just love how you talk about this stuff, John. It, it's so soothing to listen to. It is. It, it's, you're fantastic. He has, he has such a soothing voice, too, doesn't he? Yeah, it's just, is that, and I can, you know, I can just imagine you know, somebody sitting with you in a session, and I think that's the experience. When I read Dancing with Fire, it's like I felt you were right there with me because you have such a nice voice in your writing that it's very personal. Well, how could, how could you sit in, in John's office and be mad at him? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure that happened. Trust me. <laughs> it happens, too. Trust me. God damn it, quit trying to make me feel this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's how it shows up. Yeah. But, you know, as we were talking about that organismic intelligence you were talking about, I remember this, this one client, this relationship just wasn't unfolding in the way she hoped. She was crazy about this guy. And you come <laughs> over, and they'd be very close, and it looked like it was going to be everything she hoped, and then she wouldn't hear from him for weeks. And then they'd hook up again, and she wow. was in a tremendous amount of pain. And I remember when she was sitting in this pain, because I asked her to just stay with it, 
Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, spontaneously, she started to rock. Mm-hmm. And I asked her just to stay with that rocking. Mm-hmm. And it was something that started to very much soothe her as she was feeling this pain. Mm-hmm. And what she ended up doing was getting a rocking chair for her apartment. Wow. And that, that one of the things she started to do to soothe herself, to help her get through these tough times, mm-hmm. was to just sit and rock. Wow. Now, isn't that a perfect example of trusting your organismic intelligence? Yeah. You know, as yeah. you say with the feeling, this person went into a spontaneous rocking. Like and I asked her if she was aware of it, John. She, she did not even know she was rocking. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was very subtle. I saw it very subtle in her body, and she didn't want to give herself... She was ashamed, you know, we can talk about that. You know, I can't rock, I'm an adult, right? Kids rock. Uh, uh-huh. Or you rock with Alice. a baby in your arm. Right. Mm-hmm. So she didn't make that something, you know, accessible to herself. Mm-hmm. But then when, when I brought her to her awareness, I just said, just let's try an experiment. Allow yourself to rock. Let's see if you can let that happen a little bit more. Let your body move even more with it. Mm-hmm. And it was really a very powerful experience. I'll never forget it because of wow. the transformation I saw take place with her as she let herself, you know, rock. Wow, magical. Yes. Something and you see that all the time. I'm sure you see that in the work yeah. you're doing. Yeah, trusting the body, the, the body's intelligence, trusting the body's wisdom is so powerful, and we're conditioned to not trust it, conditioned to think that we're just Right. Yeah, yeah, and you know... Oh, you, and what, what Monty, you said is so true about 12-step meetings, that in so many meetings we're, we're taught, don't trust your feelings. Right. You know, you're, you know, avoid them and stuff, and people, you know, stare away from them. And I think that that's one of the things that, that does lead people to relapse as well, is because they don't know how to deal with what's going on. They don't know how to deal with the feelings that to emerge, and even some positive feelings, because one of the things that I remember you and I had this discussion at the Evolution Conference, John, is that sometimes when somebody starts to get something they've longed for in their life, they first experience a lot of pain, because uh-huh. mm. they realize what they've missed. Right. Wow. That's a mouthful right there. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'll share something with you, and, and, and some of the listeners know uh as the weeks go by, they're going to know even more. Um, uh, uh, John and Alan, I, I have done something. I've made a change in my life just in the last couple of weeks. Um, I've changed the way I eat. Um, I, um, I, I'm, I'm, I've gone paleo is what I've done. And I'm not eating grains. I'm diabetic. I'm not eating grains. I'm not eating things that turn to sugar. I'm not eating sugar. And in just two weeks... Uh, I mean, I haven't dropped tons of weight or anything, but in two weeks, I have energy back that I thought I had lost forever. Now, here's the deal. Here's the thing that I I discovered. My body was yelling at me and I wasn't listening. Ah. It's been screaming at me for years saying, you got to change this. Otherwise, you and I are going to have a parting of the ways, literally. And I I was in Orlando, uh, one of my board of directors Put the bill for me to uh, to go to Disney World with him while I was uh, in Orlando, and trying to get around, I, I I thought, you know what, I was I was listening to what my body was telling me, and I heard it loud and clear in ninety nine degree heat, eighty percent humidity. I finally surrendered and said, that's it. And I, I got to tell you, people need to listen to their bodies. Beautiful. That's, that's a really great example. Yeah, that's yeah. a great example, Monty. 
slow down. You know, often we're so busy in our society, slow down, take some time, meditate, whatever helps you to relax, slow down, and listen, pay attention. You know, what's really going on? What do, what do we need? What's, what's going on in your life that's getting in the way of feeling good? Mm-hmm. Oh. Which is interesting. You know, that, that is the 11th step in the 12-step program. Yeah. Starts with prayer and meditation. And, and, and that's what we're really being invited to do is to really listen. Listen to what's going on with ourselves. Listen to what's happening in our lives and, mm-hmm. and to really start to learn from our experience because mm-hmm. that's the big thing, John. It, it's very interesting. And in the addiction field, they, they search for, you know, is there an addict, you know, a personality, right? Is there one personality that's more likely to become an addict than others? They don't find that. And in the MMPI, there's no particular profile. I mean, you know, extroverts and introverts will become, you know, um, addicts, internal locus of control, external locus of control. doesn't seem to matter across any of these personality dimensions, but the one thing they do find is that addicts don't learn from their experience. <laughs> Why is that, you guys? Uh, it's so sad, isn't it? It's so tragic. It's really we sad. We don't... We don't learn from our mistakes, from our experience. We don't listen to our experience. We, yep. we cut that off. We don't trust it. And, you know, especially if there's been a lot of trauma in our life, a lot of woundedness. I think it's it's uh, it's a challenge to mm-hmm. to trust our experience when, for a long time in our childhood, our experience has been so painful. Yes. Yeah. But uh, but in that case, what we can trust is that there's pain in us. We can learn how to how to work with that pain, so we can release it. And you know. And like, like that beautiful story with the woman rocking, our body has natural ways of releasing the trauma, releasing the hurt, releasing the wounds. And sometimes we need to work with a, with a skilled helper, a therapist, to, to get there. But there's a path to, to be worked there. Wow. Yeah, that's right on. That's right on. And, and, and I think that that's one of the things that happens in recovery is I think that for someone to establish a real stable and long-term recovery that has to happen, that, that we've got to learn to pay attention to ourselves and to learn from our experience and to support ourselves in making those mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, is to not let the mistake define us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this emotional dependency does a lot of times that I've seen, John, is that is that I become so dependent on, let's say, the outcome of a situation that if that doesn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, that somehow that defines me as being a failure. Right. You know, in Buddhism, which I'm interested in, they call it clinging and craving. We, we cling, and that's, that being the cause of suffering, we cling to our ideas of how things should be. We, and, and that kind of clinging does create a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of suffering. Clinging to our expectations about things, or our judgments of other people, or clinging to being right, that's a big one that we often hold on to, and it creates a lot of pain in our, in our lives. Is that, is that the cause for much perfectionism in people? I mean, you know, either, either this is going to come out the way I want it to, or I'm just not going to do it at all? Yeah, I think perfectionism often also comes out of shame. That if we can do it perfectly, then nobody can criticize us. Nobody can shame us if we can do something perfectly. Yeah. But, but then since we can't do it perfectly, we end up not doing it at all. So we, maybe we procrastinate. Because if we try to do something and it doesn't work out, we're going to really feel like a failure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, noticed, I, I, I noticed something the other day. My, my, uh, my soon-to-be uh, 16-year-old son, uh, has worked his tail off in the last several months to raise uh, some money so he can buy his first car. Uh-huh. 
He, we've gone all over the place looking at things. He's got seven hundred dollars in his pocket, and as you know, that's that's a pretty low number to find a decent vehicle. But um, he found one, and he, this is what his statement was. And I thought about our show, Doctor Berger, I, I, and, I, and all the things we've talked about, and I had to chuckle. He said, um, "We couldn't get a hold of the guy, the phone number that was on on the truck." And and Colin says, "Well, that's just dandy." Because I'll never find another truck like this one. <laughs> that speaks volumes, does it not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It sure does. <laughs> it's like I don't want to look anymore. I'm done. I'm not gonna... <laughs> somehow I just get one shot and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And now and now I miss my chance. <laughs> yeah. People get hopeless so easily. Defeated. Yeah. To get defeated, and we got, and we end up with these rules in our heads about how things are supposed to be, or these myths that you know there's going to be nothing else, and that that becomes such a a painful script to live, though, doesn't it? It's so great just to be able to affirm, and you know, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to slip, but the good news is we can be resilient, we can pick ourselves back up and move forward. I mean, anyone who's successful out there in life and relationships and love and work, they've failed many, many times, believe me. And it's by picking themselves up constantly and moving forward that they've made progress in their lives. Yeah, That's you so bet. So, okay, we got to take another break. It's, this is our last break. Uh, we'll be right back. More with Dr. Alan Berger and Dr. John Amadeo when we return. Serenity Springs Recovery Center, located on the beautiful east coast of Florida a unique facility that is committed to providing exceptional individual care in small group settings while utilizing their experienced and dedicated clinical and support staff of licensed therapists and doctors. Visit their website, serenitystringsrecovery.com or call 386-423-4540. Serenity Springs, making a life-changing investment into your recovery. There I was in my business suit, all dressed up, just uptight as I could possibly be. And I don't remember much of what was said at that first AA meeting. It was more the feeling of the meeting itself. That's what has kept me going. I know it works, and I see the people ahead of me with more sobriety. I see how happy they are, and I want that. I want that too. And what I notice about AA is... It sort of helps me to relax and learn to really be happy with my sobriety. It's a richer life to live. That's exactly what Alcoholics Anonymous does. It teaches us how to live without drinking. It teaches us how to have fun and really enjoy life without drinking. This program's given me the good life. The only good life I've ever known. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Check your phone book, newspaper, or aa.org. All right, and today, uh, this week, on the Step-by-Step Towards Emotional Sobriety, uh, our special guest is Dr. John Amadeo. Uh, his book, Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships, we've been talking about. The website that you can visit uh, to purchase that book, as well as others, and to visit his uh, his material is johnamadeo.com, J-O-H-N-A-M-O-D-E-O dot com and you can click on the link right here at this page if you're on the website 
uh, or you can well, actually you can do that on your smartphone as well. Sometimes, folks, you have to, uh, depending on what kind of smartphone you have, you might have to hold your finger on the link for a couple of seconds and, and then it'll pop up. Okay, we've been talking about a, a lot of uh, great uh, great solution-focused stuff here today. Um, Dr. Berger, go ahead and, and pick it up here. We've got about 15 minutes left. Well, you know, so I just want to say so far that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that as you're listening to this show that you're getting a vision of what's possible in relationships. Oftentimes that because we, we are limited in what we know, our vision becomes very limited. Mm. And what you're hearing in, from Dr. M. O'Dale is what's possible. And a lot of us don't know how to realize that possibility because of some of these old ideas that we're carrying with us in relationships, some of these myths about what relationships are supposed to be like. Uh, I was talking to someone earlier today, John, about that, uh, you know, my mentor has been Dr. Kempler, and one of the things he, he said a lot is that healthy relationships is, is when you see um, differences as desirable, struggle is beneficial, and grief is necessary. And I just love that because so often do I see people struggle with the differences. You know, if, if, I, if you have one idea about what I'm doing and I have a different idea, people feel so compelled to try to convince the other person they're wrong. <laughs> and when they do that, they totally miss ha- understanding who that person is and what experience that other person is having. And also they miss the opportunity of learning to hold on to themselves and not have to get other people to see things their way to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a different viewpoint. It's not a big deal, you know. We don't... We don't die on viewpoints. They're just things that, that aren't that essential often. But, you know, this emotional dependency ends up making the other person's viewpoint so important, and it becomes more important than your own. And that's when the trouble starts. Mm. That's what emotional sobriety is, is getting that back into balance. Mm-hmm. Wow. So if I say to somebody that really, really wants me to see things the way they see it, and I'm not talking about the obvious things that are dangerous things that we, you know, we, we're not talking about that, you know, but let's say they, they, they want it. They want me to uh, agree with them on, uh, on a political issue. And, and I say to them, what if I never do come around to agreeing with you? What's that going to do to our friendship? Is that going to destroy our relationship? And some people would say, if they were honest, would say, maybe, that's sad. If, if my rule is you have to agree with me for us to be close, then I'm going to expect you to, to give up your position, to do it my way. Yeah. Then wow. yeah, we get into trying to control the other person, manipulate them to our viewpoint, and that's going to just destroy the intimacy that we're longing for, right? Yeah, right. So much. You don't have to be on the same page with everything in life to have an intimate uh, relationship, friendship, or, or, or even marriage, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, in fact, I think it's the other way. I think that the more that you can can respect the difference, the greater the intimacy is going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really, I really believe that. And you know, one of the things I see all the time is that when couples are in are in conflict and they're struggling, 
is that struggle is often about negotiating the level of intimacy they're going to have in their relationship. And they don't realize that, but that's what's going on. That's what what's underneath a lot of that struggle is how intimate are we going to be? How much room is there going to be for me in this relationship? How much room am I going to make for you in this relationship? And what's my understanding of, of, of you know, how that gets divvied up, right? Okay. I mean, you know, if if I think that, well, an intimate relationship is a lot of room for me and not much room for you, well, guess what? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> much not, intimacy, then. No, not going to be much intimacy in that. There's a saying that I like, too, that fits right in, which is, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> I love that. So we can listen twice as much as we speak. <laughs> or, or the other way to understand is, is listening is twice as hard as speaking. So we need two ears to listen well. But, yeah, if we listen, as the philosophers of love say, see the otherness of the other. That's like the height of love, just really seeing who they are, what they need to be happy. The otherness of the other. I, I really, really that like that. Great. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. And, and the good book talks about we can tame all sorts of creatures and, 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 and beasts and, and the ships of the sea, but we have a real difficult time taming the tongue, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Let me let me ask you a question, uh, Doctor uh, Amadeo. Uh, when when you speak with people and you work with people and you listen to them, uh, people that are and I'm referring to to, to couples now, uh, is is there a central theme that kind of runs through uh, their aggravation with each other? Like, is it is it mostly financial or is it uh, in-laws, or I mean, is there one particular one that seems to stand out the most? Uh, well, those things could be the tip of the iceberg, but often underneath what the fundamental issue is, is they're not listening well, they're having feelings like maybe fears or hurts that they're not revealing to each other mm. because they're, they're afraid of being vulnerable, they're afraid of rejection, they're afraid of being seen as weak. So, yeah, to share with, from our hearts, you know, if there's a financial issue or an in-law issue, you know, talk about how it affects you, not what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Just share how it affects you. If we proceed in this way, we in law spend two weeks at the house. It makes me feel really claustrophobic or scared that I'm not going to have enough time with you. And um, share what's really happening in, in your vulnerable inner heart about things. And, and usually, you know, what happens when we share openly and honestly and authentically is that the other person softens and they hear us. You know, if we do it without blaming, attacking, criticizing, analyzing the other person, people are much more likely to hear us and, and respond in, in as much of a positive way as, as they can. Because most people are – hasn't it been your experience, both of you guys, that, that most people, uh, when you when you strip away all the surface stuff, really do have a tender heart? Yeah, absolutely. We have all these levels of defenses that come yeah. for our tender heart. We, I mean, that's the truth. We all have tender hearts. It's a, we'll, let, we'll let the secret out here, right? We're all vulnerable, tender human beings, mm-hmm. easily hurt. We're all easily hurt. And the people who don't think they're easily hurt, those are the people who are the most easily hurt. Because those are the people who have to keep up the, the strong defenses so they don't uh. have to feel vulnerable. They don't, they're afraid, so afraid to feel vulnerable and tender that they keep up these these strong defenses, they're angry a lot, they're judgmental, they're blaming a lot. Those are the most brittle people, and they break easily. Yeah, those are the guys that say, that are gals that say, I really don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I just don't. Right. 
Right. It, 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 you know, I don't believe them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we all care a little. And yeah. I mean, you know, there's varying degrees that we care what other people think of us. But, yeah, we like to be seen with respect and, and sure. kindness and, and, and love. And if it doesn't happen, then, you know, we can deal with that. So not the end of the world. But, yeah, we all want to be accepted, don't we? Yeah. Life goes better with caring and acceptance and understanding. So, yeah, we're tender in that way. And what, so embracing the tenderness gives us a great strength. Though. It's kind of paradoxical. Because if we finally honor that we're tender, we're vulnerable, we're, we're, we're these tender human beings, tender hearts, we become stronger. Yeah. And then if somebody hurts us, it's not a big deal. We can embrace the hurt and it passes. <laughs> right, right. And it does pass. That, that's the thing that is the, the gift of, of life is these things um, – they they will pass. They will. It means you know when I lost my, uh, I mean before my parents ever got sick. Uh, you know I, I I thought when I was younger I'll never survive that. I'll never survive my mom and dad dying. Right, right. I survived it. I didn't right. I didn't drink over it. I didn't use over it. I I walked through it. Yeah, I can relate to that because most most of my parents have passed away, and it, it, it's a lot of grief and a lot of loss, a lot of yeah. sadness. But but again, our body has a way of healing that if we just go with those feelings. We, yeah. we heal, we, we talk about it with our friends, we get support, and and those feelings begin to begin to subside. And you know what, too, and it, and it deepens our heart, it deepens our compassion and our love for other people, to know pain, to know suffering, really helps us deepen our sense of compassion for other people. Because we know what it's like to be in pain, and we know what it's like when other people are in pain. We can extend our hearts, our empathy, our compassion to them. Right on. I, I think that's so true, is that if I don't uh, somehow come to some kind of compassion with my own pain, then it's hard for me to com be compassionate to anybody else. Well, look, and this has been terrific, uh, John. Thank you for taking the time to join us. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I really urge all of you listeners, go out and get his book. You will you will get, there will be a tremendous value from reading it. Um, it's just great stuff, and just keep up the great work, John. We need no, Thank to. you so much. Thank you. Thank you, John, so much for joining us here at Take 12 Radio. Uh, it, 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 it's meant a great deal. And, and I did see you at the uh, Evolution of Addiction Treatment Conference. We didn't meet, but next time we're going to, and we'll sit Absolutely. you down at the booth. And we'll, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it, it really was. So, uh, in fact, I think when I was printing out the bios on everybody that was speaking, um, I think yours was like the first one I printed. Now, now Dr. Berger's was, but I think yours was like next. And uh, and when so when I got your picture, I went, I know that guy. I know that gentle face. <laughs> and listen, John, would you be willing to come back and let's do a show on talking about betrayal? Because sure. You know, when we talk about emotional sobriety, one of the things that happens for a lot of people in the program is that, you know, they end up in a relationship and end up betrayed for one reason or another. Mm. And this is, becomes a real challenge in terms of people holding on to themselves and dealing with it. And I think it'd be great if you'd be willing to come back and we can talk about what are some of the things that if you're betrayed that you can do to, to deal with that terrible yeah. pain that you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. That would I'd be to do that with you. That, that would be wonderful. All right, listeners, a, another fine episode of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. And this week, our special guest, uh, John Amodeo, Ph.D., 
Go to his website, johnamadeo.com. Follow the link right from here, J-O-H-N-A-M-O-D-E-O.com. The book, Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships. Until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man. Oh, before I sign off, John and Dr. Berger, stay on the line, would you please? Ladies and gentlemen, here's a little thought. Do something now that will make the person you will be tomorrow proud to have been the person you are today. Until next time, we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.